Welcome to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who understands the X's and O's of health care coverage. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. Hello, everybody. Happy, what is today? Thursday? Happy Thursday. We're recording this on a Thursday, and there's so much to talk about. The Tennessee Titans are 4-2, and two. just got a huge, huge, huge Monday night football win over the Buffalo Bills. I'm still fired up. I know you're supposed to burn these wins after like 24 hours. You're supposed to celebrate and then move on. I have not moved on yet, Mac. That's okay. Uh, you know, I, I can't wait every week until we do this. I mean, I look forward to these Thursdays. And so here we are doing it again. I'm very happy because we're doing this, and I'm very happy because of that win. Big win. And you you say you're still celebrating and don't want to turn it loose. i tell you who didn't want to turn it loose was all those fans in the stand. Because after we won the ball game, Mike Keith and I were leaning out of the window, you know, uh, giving fist bumps to everybody that was coming through, you know, and, and air, air fist bumps to all of them. Rhett Bryan had to grab my belt so I didn't just dive out of the window up there <laughs> at the broadcast booth and start crowd surfing. I mean, it was all of that. I mean, it was, it was Monday night football. It was all everything it should have been. Two really good teams playing, and you came down to a game, could not have been more exciting, could not have had, you know, it had, what, seven lead changes. I mean, it was incredible. It really was. What a great experience. And, and, and for everybody to experience it there together was outstanding. But you do have to move forward. I mean, we've been at practice all week. The team has done a nice job of turning the page. There are a lot of obstacles they're going to have to overcome on the short week. But here we are. But you can overcome a lot of things, especially when you got to win. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody really captured the moment, the excitement of that win, as well as you did, Coach Mack. Uh, final play of the game was an exciting one, to put it mildly. I love a good goal line stand. I love defensive plays to win ball games, And that's exactly how the Titans won it. And Coach Mack, I think that your call – was epic. Well, it, it was organic. I promise you that. Uh, and you know how I call games. I, I say exactly what I'm feeling. I've been involved in a lot of them. But, you know, I was – to me and, – and you say you, you like those kind of plays in game. I know how hard it is to make – pull those off, especially defensively and especially against a really good team like we were playing against. And so, I mean, I was, I was so all in on it. And, you know, Mike Keith is a professional up there in the booth. I'm not. You know, I'm just I'm just up there. I'm up there talking ball to people, which people seem to like. But Mike Keith was doing the proper thing. You're supposed to wait for a referee's signal. Well, the refs weren't making any call. But I've been up there before. As I said, I was Jeff Fisher's eye in the sky for 12 years when I was his assistant head coach. And I do know that that kind of play at the goal line, Amy, it is, it's officiated horizontally. Side judge, line judge. And when I saw that quarterback not go up at all or forward at all and just went flat, there's no way that he made anything. And he had less than half a yard to make. And so it was, it was a very, very not only exciting moment, it was, that was a monumental moment. And we may be looking back on that as this season progresses and going, huge moment. Big stop before, you know, when, when Imani Hooker helicoptered that big 6'5 quarterback and stopped him that little bit short of a first down. And so it all came together. And, uh, yeah, I got a little excited about it because, you know what, that's what you're supposed to do. And somebody asked me if I was going to get fined for it. And I said, well, probably not, but I got enough money to pay a fine. You know, I would be <laughs> – and then the people came forward and said, Mac, we'd have a GoFundMe for you, so don't have to worry about it. Just keep doing that. 100% honesty here. 
How hard was it to not curse on the radio in that moment? Extremely hard. I cursed on the sidelines. No, no, no. Extremely, extremely hard because that's how emotional, you know, you, you were. And you knew how big it was. And then when I saw that quarterback go flat, I knew it was over. Game was over. And to, for the game to build, all, all, of, all of the anticipation and all the anxiety that that game was affording everybody and all of a sudden for it all of a sudden just to be over because of a huge play that your team made that the titans made i mean how can you not be happy that's why i say those fans did not want to leave the stadium they did not want to leave because they wanted to absorb that moment for as long as they could i've been saying this for a little while but when i reflect on monday what stands out to me about that game was it was like the ultimate primetime experience. The in-game atmosphere was bananas. The fans brought it 100%. The lights and all of the show associated with an NFL game was there. It was on point. It was rocking and rolling from the beginning to the end. And then the football on the field matched that level. So it was everything that came together. It was I mean, it was what you expect from an NFL game. If that was your first time at a National Football League game, the bar has been set. I mean, you've got to be hooked. Well, you're hooked, and then you're going, why haven't I been to more of these? And and so that's 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 the way it should be, and that's what, you know. And, and I think, and I've had a lot of people call me that watched it on television, and they got that experience too because it, it came through. But live there, when it was live, you know, I feel like, you know, in just, what is this, Thursday, and we played Monday, so it's only been three days. I've heard from all 69,000 that were there, you know, people <laughs> just wanting to talk about how just how great a feeling that was. And they all feel because they're you know they're 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 intertwined with this team a sense of accomplishment because that's what it was. But as you said earlier, you have to move on from that because you've got to start stacking wins, and you can only stack wins one at a time, one at a time. And so the next one at a time is coming up this Sunday against, by the way, another really good team. We have to get on, you know, with our lives and move on to the Kansas City Chiefs, and we will. But there's one thing that I will never get over, Coach Mack. Let's, like, let's literally it. my life was changed, and I will never get over this experience. And that was having Cheryl Crow in our booth during pregame. How cool is that? I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving. And not only did I just lose my mind when she walked into the booth, I saw her on the sidelines. I got a picture with her. I, I am not a person who's gotten starstruck, but I did. I lost all sense of space and time. It was so cool. It really was. And you know, and I and I and I I, I I've known Cheryl Crow. I know her through Jeff Fisher. In fact, when we were in St. Louis, uh, she came to play with Jimmy Buffett. You know, and, and so Fish and I went, and we did Buffett's radio show uh, before the game, and then you know we were all sitting in the green room talking and. And so that, that's when I met her, and that was really cool. The first thing she said, you know, last time I saw you, Coach Mack, was in St. Louis at, at, at the Buffett Show. And then, you know, to, to have all the, the, the boys, her boys up there with us was really cool. And the cool thing I liked about it, and this is how this is how really in tune we are with one another on Titans Radio, we had Cheryl Crow and those boys standing right down there, right in the pit where Mike and I called that game with us while we were doing our pregame. And we were just going bang, bang, bang right through uh, it was, and she is so cool. She she is, and 
you know, major kudos to her, not only for her career, but for the kind of person that she is. And it was so great. In fact, you know, we were talking when we got through with that, and she was getting ready to take the boys out. And uh, Brad Willis and Philip Noel and myself kept feeding those boys candy that we have up there. And she finally said, Coach Mack, I'm going to send them back up here in about 20 minutes when they're bouncing off the walls down there. <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, the other thing that I did that, uh, you know, I immediately, I immediately called Jeff Fisher because I knew he was out at his farm because they had just, you know, they had just done the, the thing on Music City Miracle. Right. And, and I, I told her, I said, she said, tell Jeff hello. I said, let's call him. So we called him and they talked. It was a great evening. I mean, great evening, but to have her up there, she's solid. It was so cool. What'd your sister ask you? <laughs> Please. Come on. This is what this is for. So let me tell you about my week, everybody. We play on Monday. On Tuesday in the evening, Cheryl Crow put on Instagram a picture of me and her together. We took it on the sidelines because I had a moment of weakness and I was like, I've got to take a picture with this person. She is just so cool. And she has to take one as well. She posted it, and I just immediately became unglued. So anyway, my sister sees this picture, and she sends me a text. And the first thing she says to me was, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you met Cheryl Crow. Second thing, did you thank her for Soak Up the Sun? Like the song. Did you thank her for that, I mean, that amazing song? Which, no, I barely even knew my name. Like, no, I couldn't thank her for her songs. I didn't even know she was a singer at that moment. She was Cheryl freaking Crow. Like, I couldn't think of anything else. And uh, so my sister's horrified with me because I didn't thank Cheryl Crow for her contributions to music, which is apparently a me problem, so... Well, uh, I it, mean, if that if that's the only thing your sister's upset with, you're in good shape. Yeah, I'm sure there's more, but that's <laughs> at least a start. But really, I mean, she's a Mizzou grad, and so yes. that's a very big deal to me. There aren't a ton of, like, super famous Mizzou grads outside of media. Like, there's a bunch of broadcasters and people who are associated with the University of Missouri journalism. But, like, as a young kid growing up in Columbia, Missouri, you didn't see too many, like, Missouri people who got out and like were these big superstars she was a big superstar and she came back and she was the grand marshal of mizzou's homecoming parade which if you know anything about the university of missouri homecoming is bigger than christmas in columbia missouri it is everything i coached there for three years i know how big it is there in in columbia i understand and but that's you saying that she came back to be Grand Marshal that pre- that's just who she is. Absolutely that's, it is. That's 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 what a real star is. She's a real person that gives back. Yeah. She one hundred percent and she made me think, I wanna do something. Like she made me wanna get out and like be somebody because look at these things that you are able to do and look at the way you're able to give back to your university. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And so to meet her and have that experience a thousand years later, roughly, was so cool. And she was so gracious and kind. And she's also, I think, lucky because we won that ball game in such a great fashion. Well, so, she was a 12th Titan. Yeah, so I think she needs to come back, hang out with us every week so that we can win more ball games. Well, we told her she could. Mm-hmm. And we, we told her boys they could too. <laughs> and they could get more candy. So thank you, Cheryl Crow, for just being you and for being so cool. Now we can move on to the Chiefs. There we go. All right. Let's move on to the Chiefs because they're coming to town. They play at Nissan Stadium this Sunday. Kickoff for that game is at noon. What do the Tennessee Titans need to get fixed in the six days before they take on the Chiefs? Well, first of all, they need to get fixed 
physically. They need to get, you know, as healthy as they can. They're not going to get completely healthy. It just doesn't happen this time of year. And 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 we know they had several injuries, you know, that, that were pretty significant in that ball game. And in the secondary, you know, we've had two position groups, Amy, that have been hit very hard, you know, as a group. The offensive line has been hit very hard by injuries, and the defensive backfield has been hit very hard by injuries. So, they're finding ways to overcome that, but they've got to continue to do it. And this week, being able to overcome those injuries in the secondary against an explosive offense that co- that's coming in here with Patrick Mahomes and, and the Kansas City Chiefs, that's going to be a challenge. So they've got to get as healthy as they can, first of all. That has to happen first. And Mike Vrabel, you and I are at practice every day, doing a nice job of getting them back on a short week because you've got to take into consideration all these players only have one body, and they laid everything out there on Monday night, so they need a little time to recover. Now let's flip that around a little bit because there are also a lot of great things that the Titans did on Monday night. What's something that you want to see them carry over into Sunday's matchup? Red zone defense was outstanding. I mean, they had five shots inside our red zone. They scored two touchdowns. So that's, they had to kick at three field goals. They had nine points instead of a possible 21. Huge difference. That's the difference in the ball game. Huge difference. Continue to get the turnovers. Off of our turnover, we scored a touchdown. Off of the turnover that we gave them, they scored three points. That's the difference. That's the hidden yardage in National Football League games. We've got to stay on top of that this week, too. Now, Patrick Mahomes is always going to do Patrick Mahomes things. Like, he is always going to be that young athletic quarterback, you know, but we've seen uh, some differences in him this year. We've seen a couple things. He's not as accurate as he's always been. He's had some turnovers this year. Are teams starting to figure him out? Is there a him problem? What's really going on with Patrick Mahomes, do you think? Well, it's not a him problem. He's still playing really good. People are playing a lot more coverage. You know, they figured out it doesn't it doesn't pay a lot to blitz this guy because he, he identifies and he's got a track team to throw to. So, you know, that you don't want to get matched up man-to-man. People are playing more coverage, but here's what he's doing too. Uh, first of all, I mean, he's an exceptional athlete. He's Gumby. I mean, he can throw and get it to contort his body a lot of ways. When he was coming out of uh, when he was coming out of Texas Tech, I compared him when I was writing his report for the draft to Brett Favre when he's coming out of Southern Miss. The guy's a gunslinger, and so a lot of those interceptions, he trusts his arm, and he trusts his arm at any arm angle, any launch point. Uh, you know, no matter what the coverage is. And so you've got – if he's going to throw it in those tight windows, you've got to be able to capitalize on it. But still, this guy is a problem. I mean, he's he is dangerous because you just can't – you can't practice enough of the things that he's going to do off schedule. You just can't practice those things. And so you have to be very, very aware. And then there are moments in National Football League games where you either make the play or you don't. When those moments present themselves this week, especially when he's throwing off schedule, you got to make the play. Coach, you're a defensive guy. How do you prepare for a quarterback where you not only have to game plan for what he's going to do when everything goes right, but also game plan for what he's going to do when everything breaks down and goes wrong? You practice it. You practice it. You practice it. You put a player back there on your scout team that every now and then you're going you're gonna to run scramble drills, scramble plays. You practice plaster coverage in the back end as to where routes start to convert when he starts moving. And, and you, you practice that, that type of thing, and you emphasize it, but you have to do it. I mean, I've done it on my, my whole career. When you've got a quarterback that is this dangerous off schedule, 
You've got to practice it because I tell you who else practices it. Kansas City practices it. They have that in, in their offensive practices too. They are orchestrated as to the, where they're going to go off of their route stems if he starts to break down. The way the route structure is up, when, when he starts to break either to his hand or away from his hand, believe me, it's not, it's, it's not by chance where those people end up that he throws to. It's all practiced. The thing that analysts and people like you and me do that drives fans crazy the most is say the key to the game is scoring points. Like, yeah, duh, of course you've got to score points so you win the game. Like, it's stupid. But in this game specifically, scoring is going to be so important for this Titans offense, right? Well, let's dig deeper than that. What you have to do, you've got to be – you don't want to get into a make-it-take-it game with these guys. You, you just don't. And so when you get a chance to move the ball and you get a chance to get inside the red zone, you got to score touchdowns. And on the other side, you've got to make – they're going to move the ball. Let's just get that out there. They're going to move the ball just like we're going to move the ball. But when you get in the red zone defensively, you got to make them kick at a field goal. Not that they're going to make it, but you got to make them kick at it. All right? And then when you go – when you because if if we can keep the score from separating really large early on, Amy, then we can still do what we do best is run the ball. That, you know, but if the score gets separated real quick, real early, then everything that's in our favor, handing the ball back there to that future Hall of Famer that we've got back there that is just having an amazing year, well, then that becomes less able because – the score separated, and defenses won't care. So that's where it all is. Can I ask you a question that I know you're not going to like? Sure. Okay, cool. So Derrick Henry is 217 yards away from getting 1,000 yards in seven games. That's crazy. Do you think it is possible for him to get 217 yards rushing against the Kansas City Chiefs? If he breaks an 80 or 90 yarder, which he can do, which, you know, last week, what did he break, a 70-plus yarder? 76, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, he's got the ability to do that for this reason because he can break those like that. You, you don't normally have a 200-yard game when you're, when, you're, when you're averaging four and a half, five yards a carry. It just doesn't happen because you're not going to get 40 to 45 carries, right? So, but he can eat chunks. He is, he is an anomaly. He really is as a running back because he, he's not only a power back, but he is an explosive back waiting to happen. We saw it in this game. We've seen it throughout his career. So is the possibility there? Absolutely it is, but he's going to have to break some long ones. That was a good answer. I kind of didn't think you'd like that question. Well, first of all, I will never dislike anything that you do, at <laughs> least at least publicly on, while we're on the air. And then, uh, I mean, it's a legitimate question. Yeah, it is. You know what else is legitimate? What the Tennessee Titans are doing at this Chiefs game. You know how games have themes a lot of times yes. in the National Football League? You have lots of theme games. And the Titans have a theme game that I think is really cool. It is their Playmakers game. And the Playmakers game is celebrating women who are making an impact and are kind of leading the charge and creating opportunities and spaces for women. So the Titans are going to be celebrating the women of the Tennessee Titans. And that doesn't just mean Titans staff. That means women in the Nashville community, super fans, anybody who is associated with the Tennessee Titans. We're celebrating those women. I think it is so cool. Oh, I love that. I mean, I, I think this is that is that, that, I mean that that makes me so happy. It really does. And you know, I mean, just and and I think there is there is so much a place for it. I'm glad to see how progressive the National Football League uh, is employing, you know, females. I remember when I came here five seasons ago, and you and Ashley Farrell asked me legitimately when you 
got over being scared of me. You, you <laughs> asked me legitimately, would you teach us football? Because we're in the football business and there are things we just don't understand. Can you can you help us a little bit understand exactly what's going on? And, you know, for three months, I mean, we dug down into it with tape, with film, with everything. To me, it's just I, – I love that. I love this initiative that the Titans are doing. I think it's going to be awesome, and I'm so excited to hear from some of the different women who have made a difference and made an impact within the Titans community. You'll hear from them throughout the game. You'll notice some changes, some different things throughout the game, but it's going to be just a really cool thing. So I'm so fired up about it. And I think that that is the perfect transition into our guests today, Coach Mack, because when you think about a playmaker and what that is, making an impact, leading the charge for women to be in a space, there is nobody better than Laura Oakman. None. None better. I mean, and I've known Laura for a long time, and she is absolutely fabulous. And she is a trailblazer. She's a trailblazer. And, and, and of course, you know, she had some female mentors when she started, too. Not as many, because there weren't as many involved. But what she's done now with Galvanize and what she continues to do, I mean, I absolutely – she is a real superstar in this area. Check out our conversation with Laura Oakley. Laura Oakman, you know her, you love her, you've seen her everywhere in the sports world. And if you think you don't know who Laura Oakman is, you're wrong because you do, because she is everywhere. We've got to start by talking about the Laura Coach Mac relationship. You guys are buddies that have gone back for a long time. Give me the origin story of Coach Mac and Laura Oakman. Laura, let me talk first, please. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it goes it goes back to the to the to the Camelot days in Chicago. I mean, it really does, because, you know, I was with the Bears and Mike Dicka and and Camelot is a great word to describe it, because there have been a lot of great eras in professional sports uh, history with cities. But that that Camelot era in Chicago with the Bears and the Bulls, the way things were rolling there. And then Laura Oakman was right in the middle of all those great Chicago Bull runs. And look, I mean, her professionalism has spanned a whole lot of sports. But when she was with Sports Challenge Chicago and, and, and was covering was covering the Bulls, I mean, she won an Emmy for it. And, and, and rightfully so, because she was outstanding. And then, you know, she was she was around the Bears quite a bit, too. But the thing the thing about Laura Oakman was and and here let me just say this that that's important and she and and she talks to me about being an advocate the only way i'm an advocate for females in this business is ones that get it and ones that are serious about it and ones that truly love it you cannot manufacture respect nor experience in this business you have to earn it and laura oakman earned it and she was she was somebody that as a coach and I've done it all coaching in the National Football League. I was an assistant coach. I've been an assistant head coach. I've been a coordinator. I've been a head coach. And through all of those times, you find out really quick those people that you can trust and those people you can trust with information that is vital, you know, for a broadcaster to be able to do their job. But also you have to be able to have an innate trust with them. Laura Oakman covers all of that in spades. She's one of my favorite human beings, not only as a professional, but just because she she is the best example for somebody that wants to get into this business, male or female, that has worked for it and has earned every accolade she's ever gotten. But the biggest thing she's earned is the trust of people in this business that's hard to come by. 
I would like to record this and make it on my ringtone. So when anyone calls me, <laughs> this is what they have to hear, including myself. I would call it every every hour to hear this. So there's a million things I love what you just said, Coach Mac, and how much I appreciate it. But here's the biggest thing I'd say. I was so young and dumb when I met you. I was so intimidated in that world, in that Camelot world. I'm a Chicago girl. And so I got that opportunity at Sports Channel before I was ready for it. And so I made every mistake. I questioned myself. I didn't believe in myself. And so to have kindness at that age and at that stage was everything. I was so intimidated every day going into Hallis Hall, which is where the Bears practice. And at that time, it was the, I mean, gosh, comparing it to even the Titans building, you could have put Hallis Hall like in the lobby. It was so little. And so what would happen is the reporters would all just be lumped into basically a hallway and we would wait and the coaches would have to walk through this tiny little hallway to go to the offices from practice, right? Like from practice. And I just always remember Coach Mack was one of the ones that stopped and said hello and treated not just me, but everybody with such respect. And I was at an age where I didn't even know how to build a relationship with the coach yet because I was so intimidated and I was so scared. And so I remember that was, you were one of the first coaches that I had that human interaction with. And it wasn't about the story and it wasn't about practice that day. It really was you checking in. How are you? And asking where was I living and just questions getting to know me. And that was huge for a young woman, but huge for a young reporter who was just learning about building trust and learning how to build relationships. You gave me a huge glimpse into that because I love what you just said. I, I say the same thing. People ask us all the time, Amy, about sexism in sports. And I always say the locker rooms are the easiest. The coaches and the players are the easiest. If they respect you, you're in. That gender does not matter. You have to earn the respect. And once you're, once you're in, you're in. The industry is a whole different thing, but the world of sports in that bubble is the most welcoming one once you prove you belong. And Coach Mack was truly one of the first people that made me feel like I might belong in this. Well, uh, Laura, and, and that's that's kind of you to say, but let me just say this. I mean, you understand I was a very, I mean, I was the youngest coach on that staff by a long ways. If you, I mean, you, mm. you know this, you talk yeah. about the small building, but we were a small staff. There was only eight of us. And you had longtime historic coaches there, Johnny Rowland, the Dick Stanfields, Hall of Fame coaches, you know, that, 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 that were there. And, and I was brand new to the league. And when Mike Dick gave me that chance, let me say this. When I, I had 13 years of major college football, and when I was hired, they, one of the things that, that, that some of those uh, professional coaches told me was, look, you cannot be as close to these players as you were to your college players. We understand yeah. that you were, a, you were a really top-notch recruiter. People say that you this. He said, this is a business. You can't get very close. You can't get – you do this. And so, you know, I, I, I took – I absorbed that for a minute. And then when I got there, I said, no, that's not true because it's a people business. And so I, I, I felt so blessed to be there and I just loved every minute of it. And part of it was meeting people like yourself that were there. You never gave off a vibe like you were nervous. You never, but, but what you did give the vibe off was, is that I am here to do a job. And I am also here to be able to, you know, to earn your trust. And I'm serious about what I'm doing. I mean, that's the vibe that I got. But believe me, I mean, I was a young coach, too. Here's what I knew when I took that job at Chicago. Nothing. Zero. 
I knew, I knew, I knew absolutely zero. I mean, the first thing I did, Laura, I called Mike Singletary and said, please, let's go to dinner, you know, introduce myself and said, I need to find out what I need to do to earn these guys respect because you're talking about, you know, the Super Bowl shuffle bears. You know, you're mm -hmm. talking about the most iconic team in the nation at the time. The three things that he told me, and I think you'll, you'll substantiate this, you know, in your career, he said, he said, coach Mack, let me just tell you something, three things. First of all, always tell us the truth. And he said, number two is if you don't know, just say, you don't know, don't try to BS us. We'll figure it out together. And he said, the third and most important thing is let us feel and let us know, not just out of your mouth, but from your heart that you value us as people as much as you do that number on our back. And so that's what I did. And it's, it, it, it worked because I'm 35 years into this league and still going. And here's what I'd say to that is you were one of the pioneers of that because now we're big on get to know your players as people, right? Like now every coach will say that, you know, if they do it, that's another thing, but it's just get to know your players as people, make sure that they know you care and all of those things that a lot of these coaches have to get coached to do now and have to shift their brain and their way of thinking because they've never done that before. You've always embodied that. You've always exemplified that. That's who you are. So I could see when you got in where so many coaches would try to turn that shift the other way. It doesn't work here. They don't want you to get to know them as people. They're not going to, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you find out it doesn't matter if you're coaching college or broadcasting college or NFL or basketball or sports, or you're in engineering or you're in marketing or you're in, it does not matter. It's always about people. It always is about people. And I think you're one of the first ones that really understood that. There's certain people in this business, and I've talked about this a bunch, and I always say it behind your back, players and coaches, there's just certain people you name and you go, if someone is a problem with them, you're the problem. And it kind of gives you a light, right? Like if you have a problem with Coach Mack, then I know to stay away from it. Like you get, there's a light shining on you that you are not the right person in here. And in all these years, if you could find one person to say anything bad about Dave McGinnis, it will be the first person that you find and the person you should run away from because it's definitely not the kind of person you want to be around. And that's all because everybody knows who you are from broadcasters to players, to other coaches. There's just not an inauthentic bone in your body. And everybody feels that when they're around you. But don't you think Laura, and, and again, you know, Amy can jump in here, but, but that the, 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 the honesty is what's so important because the, the professional sports world can be such a superficial world. It's, it's magnified, it's glorified, but at the end result, it's still, it's still a people business. And, and to me, that's one of the most important things. And there are some great coaches that have been able to do that. I mean, Mike Ditka, his players, even for the way Mike Ditka was, his players loved him because he, yeah. they knew that he knew who they were. And, you know, and what they were going through. And the same way with, I mean, I worked for Jeff Fisher for 15 years and he same was way. involved with his players. I mean, and, and so those things are, are extremely, extremely important. And it's even more so nowadays. And, and as you said, that to me, and that just, that kind of dovetails into some of the things that you are doing that I think are so essential. I just have to say, this is the most important lesson I ever learned from a player. And I teach this to the direction you were going, Coach Mack, of the women that I coach. It was, you know, probably before I met you. So I was even younger and dumber, but I, I think I was in my first job or my second job. And I called Charles Barkley for something. And I knew Charles because I was in Montgomery, Alabama, and Charles was from a town close by. So he would come through. And so I met him at a young age. He was still playing then. So this is how long ago it was. 
And I called him once and he answered the phone and he said, well, 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 Laura Oakman, what do you need? And I was like, huh, can a girl just call and say hello? And he said, a girl can, you just never do. And he's like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just know when you call, you need something. So what do you need? And that crushed me because who wants to be that person that the phone rings and it's like, ugh, Laura, like, what does she need? But in my mind, I was like, well, why else would I call? I'm not going to call or reach out before texting, but I'm not going to call and say, great game or how was your weekend? So I just didn't call because I thought that I thought, well, that's not my place. But at the end of the day, in my side of the world and Amy's side of the world, it's a very one-sided relationship if you allow it. It's us always saying, I need, I need, I need. And at some point, if you don't find a way to have a real relationship then it's going to be a really hard business and a lonely business to navigate because suddenly you look around and go, I have a lot of contacts and I have a lot of sources, but I have no friends and I have no relationships. And that's on all of our sides, you know, of figuring that out together. But it is, it's a relationship business. And sometimes I think we have to remind ourselves of that. Well, and how do you utilize those relationships and really cultivate them? Because on one hand, of course, you're reaching out to these people. You do need something from them for your business. Yeah. On the other hand, you want to be engaged in creating a meaningful relationship that matters, but you want to keep it professional. There's a lot of lines and it seems like you're balancing. You have done that very well. And I know that over and over again, you've said, I don't have sources. I have relationships with people. How do you cultivate those and keep them in a place where you're really working on that relationship and you're not going to one extreme or the other. What I always say is it's the most important part of my job and it is a job. So people understand I, I legitimately have Tuesday every week that's called relationship Tuesday. And that's my day where I sit and I text and I email and I call and I reach out with no agenda. I'm constantly making sure that I don't text every single time that Coach Mac hears from me. It's what does Laura need? And so I know I've implemented that on Sundays post game. You know, you have a long day on the field. We all do. And then I get in my car and we have about an hour or an hour and a half to get to the airport. And I look at every single score real quickly and update. And I start texting everybody, you know, congratulations on the win. I'm so sorry about the loss. Sending healing thoughts your way. I'm so sorry about the injury. That's the second most important part of my job, which is not asking a question, not asking anyone to reach back, but constantly making sure that I'm showing up when I don't need something. And I have a big whiteboard. I don't do this anymore, but when I was younger, it would say all these people every week, who did I reach out to? When did I say I'd reach back out? Did they need something from me? Because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't a one-sided relationship. When I first got into this and players and coaches would ask to go to a golf tournament, I would say no, because I thought that was a line. And I was like, I don't want to make it look like I'm friends. I don't want to make it look like, as you said, Amy, that, you know, as a woman, there's some tough navigation. So I just said no to everything. And then at some point finally had enough faith in myself and trust in myself and understood relationships to go, how can I keep asking for things if I'm not taking part in this. And so I guess they went from context to relationships when suddenly I got to know their foundations and their wives and their mothers and their children and started being a part of this community versus somebody on the outside of the bubble doing stories. And that's when my life changed, not just my job changed, my life. 
And Mac, when you see someone who's really cultivating those relationships as a coach, someone on the other side, gosh, it must make you feel so good to get a text message like that that says, hey, congratulations on the win. I don't need anything from you. That's just it. <laughs> well, absolutely. But the, the the thing about it has to be genuine because you don't have to. You, you, it comes across as they're not cultivating anything. They are just genuinely, you know, involved in what's going on. And, you know, you're not the only one. But the fact that, you know, that they are paying attention. OK, paying attention, because in this business, as a coach, you know, especially as a head coach in this league, you got people pulling at you from all different directions. And most of it, you know, they're, they're pulling at you just like players, you know, for selfish reasons. And then once they're done with you, they're done with you. But as I said, there are certain people that you that you realize are in it for the, the reason that they generally they're generally interested in what you're doing, not for any ulterior motive, because guess what? Their careers are going along just fine. They're checking in with you. And what that gives you as a coach, every now and then, you can pick up the phone and say, hey, Laura, look, I know you're going to be here in a couple of weeks. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. You know, and, and I don't know if it'll be the story when you get here, but I'm just giving you a little background. And here's what I here's what I can let you know when you get here. And if it changes, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that because that's important. I mean, those types of things are very, very important in this business. And here's the thing that, that I think, and Laura, you can help me with this. Back when the league was a little bit more, I'd say, mom and pop type league, it was different. It really was. It, it's a, it, and so you really have to work now because it, 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 it's a corporation. It, 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 it's corporate, but you can still do it. And as I said, the seminars that you do, which I've been to, you know, and we'll get into those and we'll get into galvanize. I've seen that work. But what happens is, is it's not just it's not something that you're doing for for the fluff of it. You're telling them real issues yeah. that will come up and how to navigate it, because being a female in this business is not easy. Now, the in, inclusion of it is getting better and better. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, I was so happy for Low Locust when they won down there at Tampa Bay. I know Low, you know, very well. She was the assistant defensive line coach at the Birmingham Iron. I used to drive over there to watch their games, you know, and then when she got that chance to go, you know, with, with BA and then plus just, you know, to win it. Those types of things matter. I mean, they really they really do matter. And not not because she's a female, but because she spent 30 years chasing a dream. And those things are extremely important. And now for her to be able to be on that stage, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I think it's just so, so important that people like yourself that have a platform now, because I mean, you know, let's admit it, you're a big deal now, but you had to work, you had to work to be a big deal. And so, and, and the way that you did it, but I, as I said, we'll talk about your seminars, we'll talk about galvanize, but the way you portray it and the way you get it across, you know, although I think those, 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 those females that are entering into it, they say, whoa, this is a job. This is work. And it's, you know, it's not all about just, you know, the bright lights and everything else that goes on because it is a business. It's a business, but it doesn't have to be an impersonal business. And I hope this is one of the most important things I can say to Amy right now, because I know the dream was checking boxes, right? I want to do this. I want to do, I want to cover a Super Bowl. I want to host an Olympics. I want to work for a network. Check, check, check. And all of a sudden you check boxes and you realize how lonely that can be because everything about us is the job, is the job, is the box, is the box. And I just know that 
at some point you really do look around at a lot of check boxes, a lot of check boxes and go, what else is there? I've been doing, you know, sidelines for a long time, but if I look at my Sunday, I work just as hard as my play-by-play partner. I work just as hard as my analysts. We're watching the same film. We're reading the same articles, we're having the same interviews and conversations and I'm probably having more conversations with more players and coaches. And yet, if you boil down my Sunday, maybe I have two and a half minutes. If you put down like all of my stuff and what happens is eventually you leave Sunday and your guys feel great. They've had three hours to pontificate and to show off their knowledge and to show how awesome they are. And you walk into your car with a notebook of stories that never made air and all your opinions and all your insight and all these nuggets and nothing made air. And you can feel like you have no value and you can have no worth. And at some point as a woman, at least on the sidelines, I had to figure out what's my value, what's my worth, because it cannot be two and a half minutes on a Sunday. That took me a long time. I hope Amy figures that out a whole lot younger than I did. That's why we started this podcast, because I had more to say. (laughs) I, I love it. Like, that makes me want to cry. I love that so much. A hundred percent. That's, I love that. I would have never had the confidence to use my voice as you're doing at your age. The other great thing now, just look what's going on in the league. Look, I mean, look right here at the Tennessee Titans, Amy Adams strunk. I mean, one of the absolute best. I mean, when I came back from LA and I came here and met her, you know, when I was going to start doing the broadcast here, I, I, I came away from that first meeting going, Whoa, I've been in the league a long time. I know good from bad real quick. I mean, yep. that is excellent. Uh, look, look at Sheila Ford Hamp. What's going on there at Detroit? How much she's involved? Yep. Look at Kim Pagudo. To me, those things are extremely, extremely important. And, and our league is better for that. It is better for that, in my humble opinion. Now, Laura, we have to talk about Galvanize. We've kind of alluded to it, and it is so much bigger than everything that we've alluded to. Give me a minute to just kind of break down Galvanize, what it is, and why it's so important. People always think Galvanize is about being better on camera because originally how the genesis of Galvanize was I started seeing all these young women getting thrown into these awesome opportunities, but I thought, ooh, that's fast. That's fast and that's hard, you know, and high up. I was watching them struggle and I knew that they weren't struggling on a Sunday or on a Saturday. I knew they were going to struggle for years. When you all of a sudden walk with a coach at halftime and I've had coaches say this, they've said, Hey, I was with an adorable young girl at halftime and I was trying to help, but I didn't know what she was talking about. And when I tried to tell her something so I could help her, I knew she didn't know what I was talking about. And that was told to me when I was 27, I would have been very judgmental of the women and been like, well, they don't belong. And why are they here? But I was luckily old enough and motherly enough to go, these women are being crushed, not on a Sunday, but their confidence is now crushed. And so I was very thankful that I got my start in Montgomery, Alabama and made my mistakes small in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had to work my way up to get to the network level. And I was watching so many young women not get that trajectory. And so I knew I couldn't help change that, but I did think, well, I probably could help them get ready for the opportunity. And so Galvin, I started about 12 years ago and I just thought, how can I help? And I didn't know anything more than that. It wasn't a company. It wasn't a name. It wasn't anything, but it took about four months to find 20 women who were like, sure, I'll be a part of it. And then, you know, 12 years later, about 2,500 women later, 
it's turned into just an incredible network of women and something I would have killed for, which was just a group of women to help me navigate all of this going through it. There's no black and white in this business. It's all gray. And I didn't have a single woman who helped me through that. I didn't have a woman mentor. I didn't have friends who were doing this business. So we, I had peers, I didn't have friends. And I just thought, how can I, how can I give them this? And it's grown, not just in size, but we have boot camps and workshops now that are for women not on camera. We have everybody behind the scenes. We have women who are agents and marketing and PR and we're from 20 years old to 40. So it's just, it, it's just this incredible group of women who are looking for a network of other women to support, to be supported by. And it's been a life changer. I, I would have killed for it at your age, Amy, but I also know that I probably, if I had it, I wouldn't have created it because I didn't know the importance and the need of it. So I guess I probably wasn't supposed to have it. And now I just know watching these young women and older women, but succeed and grow and struggle has grown my heart in sizes. I didn't know my heart could grow because I don't have children. So I, I didn't understand what it was like to be a mother. And now I feel like I'm a mother to a couple thousand women <laughs> and feel like, every day I'm like, I didn't know I could be any prouder than I've already thought I would be, but it's been, it's been magical. It's been absolutely magical. Let me interject here. I mean, you know, when, when we went to LA, you know, Laura, of course, you know, asked Jeff Fisher and myself if she could, you know, bring, you know, a group of her galvanized people to training camp. You know, it was our first year out there. Of course, it was a big deal and everybody, and of course, you know, Jeff Fisher, you know, uh, told me that, that Laura had, I said, oh, absolutely. Let's do this fish. And, and when she showed up and, and, you know, and the things that, that she was imparting to them, I mean, they weren't just at practice just to be, you know, being able to stand inside the ropes and to say to all the people around, look at us, we're inside the ropes. They were actually digging in and learning something about what really makes this thing work. And then Jeff talked to the group. I talked to the group, but you could tell that they were all invested and they weren't invested at a surface level. They were invested at a level like I am getting a leg up here and I'm going to take full advantage of it. I was so impressed, so impressed with it. And I can see why it worked. And you will forever, forever be one of the greatest gifts to galvanize because that was still young and that was galvanized infancy, but it was galvanized is exactly how you were with the women. We talk so little about being on camera. We talk so little about the actual interview. We practice small talk. Well, you know, if that you're all of a sudden walking up to a coach and you're 22 years old and you're intimidated and you're scared, how do you connect? How do you let coach Mac know that I might be 23 years old, but you can trust me in this conversation if it's on camera or in print and follow me, or if you're producing this and coach Mac talked to them like they were professionals, not like they were young girls, you know, and like how cute there's a bunch of girls at practice, but like that he gave them, he imparted the wisdom that he imparts on everyone who's in his orbit, which was invaluable. But it's all the things I, I would have killed to know. I would have, I didn't need to get coached on being on camera because I was going to get better on camera with reps and I was going to get better with experience and that's going to happen. But the things that will stunt your growth about your confidence and about relationships and about how to build them and about how to believe in yourself, how to empower other women when you've been told that's your competition, all those things to be able to sit and talk about 
that's galvanized and the being better on camera or being better, uh, you know, at your job is so minuscule to me. I think the first couple boot camps, I didn't get that. And I focused a lot on what you do. And now I don't think we, we ever talk about what you do. It's all who you are. Same with athletes, same with coaches. And now, by the way, coach back knows this. I have clients, you know, I do a lot of advising with communications. I have had coaches and I work with an, an, almost 200 of the top professional women hockey players in the world. So I'm in a different world now where I'm trusted in a different way with these incredible people. It's the same thing. We don't talk about their job. We talk about who they are and that doesn't matter what you do for a job. If you tap into that, then it goes right back to what coach Max talking about is the authenticity and the truth of who you are. And that's how you build relationships and trust. Gosh, Laura, I could talk to you forever. I know we've got to let you go. You're the busiest woman in all of sports. But before you go, I want to be sure to ask you what advice you might have, not even just for girls who want to get into this industry, but anyone who wants to have some sort of role in sports, whether it be in media or otherwise, what advice would you give to them? I think the first thing is, I know for years and years, I was told that a girl talking sports was crazy. And so that was in my head for a long time. And everyone would say, what's your plan B? What's your plan B? And I would always say, my plan B is to make sure my plan A is working. And after I proved that a girl talking sports wasn't crazy, the narrative changed to, okay, that's great. You can talk sports, but you better do it fast because you can't age on camera. So you better have another plan in place because once you hit 40, everyone's going to tell you that you've aged out of this business and that's not what this business wants. So I think for so long in my career, I feared a lot of things and I believed a lot of things that people told me. And that when you're told that constantly, your voice starts sounding like all their voices. And so you start telling yourself you don't belong or you better have a plan B, you don't belong. And I think the biggest thing I try to impart, I love that you said, not just young girls and young women, this is young boys and young men, but to make sure your voice is the loudest because this business is tough and it doesn't matter what side of it, you will be told how competitive it is. You will be told there is no room for you. You will be told a million reasons why you won't belong or you can't belong. And I think the most important thing that changed my trajectory and changed my life was my, when my voice started saying, you're good at this, you belong here, that, you know, keep crushing it, you're kicking ass. And suddenly all those other voices just weren't as important anymore. And then suddenly were an important period. So I think that I didn't learn that till 40. So I, I sometimes say, here's my advice to young women or young men. And then I think, you know what, this is probably for all of us because I think at different stages that we're all in, our voices change. And I just know that the voice in my head has never been more supportive and has never been more empowering. And I know that's changed my life, not just my job. So that's probably my, my favorite thing is when I watch these young women at Galvanize, I see their voices literally change. And I watch how they all of a sudden go from doubting themselves to believing in themselves and then believing in each other. And that's where the magic is. That's where the growth is. And that's my favorite thing to watch people grab a hold of. Laura Oakman, I cannot thank you enough for being on this show with us today. This has been such a blast. You have to come back sometime soon. Do this with us again. Weekly? Yes. Like, yes. 100%. Monthly, but <laughs> you guys, listen, I would have already come into this knowing I know any conversation with Coach Mack is a meaningful one and is a purposeful one and is a wonderful one. But my sister, 
you are outstanding. And sometimes when you're in the middle of two people who know each other and start a conversation and it's like goes to a sideline feeling, right? Like, wait a minute, I had 25 questions and they <laughs> monopolized it and I asked two, but it takes a really good point guard to make sure that everybody's involved and to get this, this whole flow going. So you are magnificent. So thank you for being such a great point guard and coach Mac. I can do this with you every day. You're the best. And you know that. You're the best. But yes, because my voice tells me that I am the best, like your voice tells you that you are the best. Well, and, and again, you know, you know, the feelings mutual. I mean, it makes me so happy at a game to be able to because to lean out of the press box before the game and yell at you down there on the sideline. It Love just it. makes me feel so happy to be able to do that and connect with you. And uh, we need to get together in Nash Vegas soon with Amy Wells, with Ashley Farrell with you, with your husband at the standard. We need to do that. Yes, yes, yes. Confirmed and booked. And if we can all sneak our dogs in even better. I would love that too. <laughs> Mac, she fires me up. She just gets me going. I'm well, so excited. Well, let me tell you why she gets it. Mm-hmm. She just gets it. She really does, and I, I count myself very fortunate to have had her friendship for a long time in this league, but she is legitimate, really legit. You know who else gets it? Farm Bureau Health Plans. Don't get sacked by the high cost of health care. Make Farm Bureau Health Plans your first line of protection. They've been protecting Tennesseans since 1947. Randy Wilmort, Farm Bureau Health Plans. Jane Ann. Jane Ann that does our bobbleheads. Uh, Randy Wilmore was the genesis of the bobbleheads. Jane Ann is really the the, the power behind it. Uh, Rita Delosier. I mean, there's so many. I've got so many good friends now at Farm Bureau Health Plans. I mean, and that's a really good place to have friends. That is a really good place to have friends. I mean, shoot, anybody who can help you with your health care and everything else and get you some bobbleheads of yourself. What more could you want in a friend? I mean, plus, I like going down to Columbia, Tennessee. It's really cool down there. It is cool down there. It's really cool. So, anyway. So, Mac, do you think we should do another bobblehead giveaway? Yes. Do you think we should do that? Are you feeling giveaway? Yes. I mean, after a big win like that, yes. Yep. I think we should, too. I think we should give away a Coach Mac bobblehead. A Coach Mac bobblehead. And I think that the word that we should use is playmaker. Oh, I love it. That's perfect. This is our code word. Head over to Instagram. You will see the post. I'll say something along the lines of this is it so that you know where to post the code word. Code word is playmaker. I'll try and make it idiot proof. I'll do my best. Please give away a bobblehead coach, Mac. We gave a head bobblehead coach back bobblehead Amy last time, right? We did. That was the first one. That was a big deal. I want to keep the people coming back for more. You okay, know? good. You can't well, give everything to them all at once. They get bobblehead coach Mac this week, and then the next time will be bobblehead coach Amy. There you go. And I like to be coach Amy. I love that. All right. So Instagram is where you will put that. Playmaker is the code word. Hope you guys win a coach Mac bobblehead. It's the hottest gift in town right now. The holiday season is just around the corner. Let's go. (laughs) Mac, are you fired up for the Chiefs? Not yet. It's too early. 
It's keep too your, early. Keep your powder dry. Well, you try, you're telling me to turn the page. I turned the page in the course of this show, you're and now about, I'm fired You're talking up. about a 40-plus-year coach. I know when you're supposed to get ready, and you're supposed to prepare, but you don't start getting ready too early. You burn yourself out. You ever run track in your life? No. Okay, well, let me just say this. If Look you, at you, me, Max. If you ever, if you ever ran track, I'm not saying that. If you, <laughs> if you ever ran track in your life, the first thing they tell you at a track meet is, is just stay as calm as possible before the gun goes off because your adrenaline goes through your body and it uses up all your energy. Keep your powder dry. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm fired up anyway, so I'll see you guys on Sunday, and I will still have a lot of energy. Titans take on the Kansas City Chiefs this Sunday at Nissan Stadium. Kickoff is at noon. You don't want to miss it. If you guys have tickets, come on out and hang out with us. It's going to be so fun. For Coach Mack, I'm Titans Amy, Amy Wells. Thank you so much for listening to the Titans Amy and Coach Mack podcast.